China's asset management market is big business, even though most believe it is still at an early state of development, estimated to be already worth 19 trillion US dollars. With disposable wealth for investments rising across the country, foreign asset managers are eager to establish themselves in the market, especially as the Chinese government has relaxed market access rules in the last two years. I'm Vincent Chow, a reporter at China Law & Practice and host of the China Law Podcast, a weekly podcast exploring China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. My guest today is Josh Zhang, Managing Director and Head of Internal Control at BlackRock CCB Wealth Management, based in Shanghai. In May, Jiang's company became the second foreign-controlled wealth management joint venture to be granted an operating license by the Chinese government a year after it scrapped foreign ownership limits in Chinese asset management businesses. The partnership sees the world's biggest asset manager, BlackRock, with 50.1% ownership of the JV, China Construction Bank with 40%, and Singapore state investor Tomasek with 9.9%. In today's episode, we discuss the development of China's nascent bank wealth management industry, the key provisions of newly introduced wealth management sales and distribution rules, and the Greater Bay Area Wealth Connect scheme. Josh, welcome to the Channel Law Podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. I want to start by asking you what your background is. I started my career with Bank of China headquarter. Yeah, for four years. So at that four years, you know, I'm mainly working, you know, from a distributor's perspective. During that period, the when China mutual fund industry is, is in the developing state. So I work with a lot of uh, mutual fund managers who work around the, you know, stand, to try to standardize the industry template, but mainly from a custodian and distributor's perspective. Then I moved to UBS 10 years as an asset management lawyer. So I'm a transaction lawyer responsible for all types of transactions. So basically, I cover like cross-border. Um, we sponsor PE fund, offshore PE fund from Cayman Invest in China. We also have a domestic securities firm, asset management department. I'm responsible for their legal support, doing all the legal transactions. And later, we're doing PFM and a QDLP. So we tried almost a majority of the products available in the market, right, doing the transaction. Then I moved to Morgan Stanley. At Morgan Stanley, I'm responsible for their bank and their, their, their asset management joint ventures. So I'm a country coverage lawyer. So basically, uh, I'm responsible for the two most recent increase of step in their mutual fund joint ventures. So I'm doing integration. But mainly at UBS, I'm representing mainly from a shareholder perspective. I'm representing the, the, the UBS and Morgan Stanley to doing a joint venture, right? Now I moved to like a BlackRock CCB joint venture. I'm working at the joint venture level. Actually, I'm just, daily job is communicate with our shareholder, our regional team, right? To convince, oh, this is a local practice. Okay, how can we, you know, reach a compromise to better combine the best practice from global while meet the local requirements? And also, uh, my practice at a law firm, domestic law firm, Silk Road Law Firm, for quite a few months, uh, heading their asset management practice. I'm doing a lot of fund formation and doing a lot of fund-related litigation. I can see where the main risks are. Rather than what is stated on the paper, I know how a deal could have went wrong. This is really very helpful. I think now, instead of spreading myself to think on everything, I'm focusing on the wealth management a company and heading their compliance and control function. I think this, you know, my past experience definitely led me very well in this current, you know, role. And also, we have a huge support from our regional team. Right. So how does a banking wealth management company like yours differ from other types of financial services companies that offer similar products, such as an insurance or a securities company, in terms of your customers and your products? Since 2018, when PBOC issued the new asset management rules. So the PBOC, that's the People's Bank of China. So that caused a sea change in the China asset management industry. So basically, it aimed to you know bring 
all the asset managers, you know, whether it's the insurance company, trust company, or securities firm, or mutual fund managers, or even bank wealth managers, to under some kind of regulations, you know, to crack down any loopholes and also to pro- provide a level playing field for all the players. Having said that, currently all the different players are still some difference from a wealth management company's perspective. I think the main char- characteristics, like you know. The first thing is a wealth management company uh, like us can issue a public offered product and also can do in private type of funds. And this is different compared to like insurance asset management and also trust asset management, which is positioned as for private fund only. So I think this is a well, the main differentiator, because if you can do some public offered product, this means the threshold amount for your investors is quite low. So that's a huge benefit for us. Another difference, I would say, for WMC, its investment scope is quite broad. I would call it a super license, you know, compared to other asset managers. Basically, you can imagine the wealth management company as a mutual fund manager plus a subsidiary of a mutual fund manager. So basically, it can invest in any standard assets like the stock, fixed income, and also it can invest some non-standard instruments. So even in its public offered product, you can have exposure to non-standard assets. I think that's quite a broad business scope compared with other players. Right. So that goes back to 2018 as well, when China's banking regulator, the CBIRC, released its uh, new banking asset management measures. Yeah. In terms of clients, historically, the bank walls management product, their client base is some uh, low-risk and low-yield type of uh, customers, which they normally, if they want to invest in you know, high-risk products and want high returns, they normally go to like mutual fund or other type of products. But now, as given the CBOC's new asset management rules and also CBRC's rules, which you know, permit us to invest in a broader scope, Sooner or later, you know, the market will change. People, if they want to doing some high-risk products or, you know, high returns, they probably will also consider the bank wealth management product. Okay, so I want to ask about the groundbreaking Greater Bay Area Wealth Management Connect scheme, which allows Hong Kong and Macau residents to buy wealth management products sold by mainland banks in the Greater Bay Area and vice versa. So uh, mainland residents can also do the same with products sold by Hong Kong and Macau banks. I want to ask from a legal standpoint, what are you most paying attention to with regards to this uh, new scheme? The thing I'm paying attention to is because I'm as a manager, so I'm mainly interested in the permitted scope of investment for the uh, northbound of trading. So northbound trading is the wealth management products offered by mainland banks that Hong Kong and Macau residents can invest in. Yeah, from the consultation paper. It is permissible for the uh, northbound trading is the you know the island R three wealth management products for uh, WMCs and also R1 to R3 uh, ready mutual fund that is within the permissible northbound trading. So these figures, R1 and R3, they are the risk ratings uh, for these products. Um, so R1 is the lowest risk and R5 being the highest risk product. Yeah, if you read on the letters, you know, it seems it's quite fair, right? So for wealth management companies, it's R1 to R3. Mutual fund manager also R1 and R3. But in practice, because for uh, what many companies, normally you have the discretion to do the rating, you know, whether this is the R1 or R3 or R5 product. It's up to you and the distributor who, you know, based on your own standards to give the rating. But for mutual management, they have industry standards. So uh, even with that, you know, in reality, 
if it's the same product, right? It's the same distributor bank. It doesn't necessarily mean it will get the same rating. If, for example, it's a plain vanilla fund, uh, equity fund, like 80% in the China Air stock market, probably it will get, get R3 rating in the, for mutual fund managers. But for our wealth management company, if we offer a similar product, probably it will get rated as R4 or R5, probably cannot be eligible for distribution, for the northbound trading. So I would care more about the substance rather than reading on the letters. I would care about, you know, whether in reality, whether same asset allocation, the same underlying assets get the same treatment. Hopefully, when the final rules come out, some of the comments from industry can be addressed properly. Okay, so in May, the CBRC issued new rules on the sale and distribution of wealth management products by wealth management companies. And these new rules came into effect at the end of June. And so I want to know what the most significant provisions uh, in these new rules are uh, for your business. If you read the, the rules, as you mentioned, the first one is they enhance the requirements for you know as a manager to you know manage the distributor because now a manager is jointly liable together with a distributor for any misconduct during the distribution this is contrast to you know other offer jurisdictions we are mainly you know if you are a distributor you are facing the client you will be responsible for like a suitability check etc and you will be held liable but in China, uh, you know, as a manager now is stated clearly in the rules, managers, you are jointly liable for any distribution and distribution activity. So w- this means uh, as a manager, you need to, you know, always manage effectively of your distributors. And you need to not only you doing due diligence from the very beginning when you onboard a distributor, but you need to doing conduct annual or semi-annual assessment of your, how the sales practice of your distributor is doing whether they have any problem. If certain events happen, you need to terminate the relationship. Another aspect, they actually classified an investor as a, as institutional investor and non-institutional investor. The suitability check is mainly on the non-institutional type of client. If you sell the product, wealth management product to a non-institutional client, if it's at the counter, at the upfront, you need to doing this at a designated area and be videotaped throughout the whole sales process. And I think there's no such designated area requirement for the sale of mutual funds. And uh, for mutual funds, I think videotaping is only required when you remind the investor of certain important clauses. Yeah, and another aspect is that require if a product is ready like R4, you have to do the sales over the counter, you know, physically, unless the investor have a written agreement with you that they will waive such requirements. You know, this is seen to be, you know, a very, I wouldn't say an onerous, but it's a very high standard compared to other, you know, SMN type of sales practices. So I think that's the provision which you always will give me like, you know, in a control function to say, okay, this is the regulatory focus. You need to enhance a robust process to make sure that, you know, if anything happens, you have the policies and procedures, you have a proper record, and you prove that the whole process is robust and is according to the law. And also, uh, because the Supreme Court and also issued an interpretation regarding on the sales process, which also put all the proof of burden on asset managers and distributors, which also means as an asset manager, you need to keep proper uh, records of the whole sales process. Yeah, so the measures require wealth management companies like yours to conduct due diligence on your distributors. Can you explain just a bit more about how you can meet that requirement in terms of the process or the the criteria for assessing a distributor? Actually, in the new uh, distribution rule, they have a very comprehensive or clear requirement on 
the due diligence process on a distributor, they have the basic nine requirements on due diligence that you should conduct when you onboard a distributor, like their financials, uh, their technical system to support the settlement and the sales process, and whether they have robust control on AML and the CRS, a FATCA process. Okay, so AML is anti-money laundering, and CRS is the common reporting standard, which aims to combat tax evasion. Yeah, and also the approval process now is with, with the senior management of the company. So the senior management need to review the qualification of the distributors and also, you know, approve the, and maintain a list of the distributors. So they have periodic, you know, review obligations on, on a distributor. Their sales process at least annually and also semi-annually, you should review their investor protection and customer complaint practice to make sure that investors are protected. They also have very specific requirements on when you should terminate the distribution relationship with a distributor. Like, you know, if the distributor, they have committed any offense, they didn't treat the customers well, or, you know, if they refuse to cooperate with the ongoing assessment, or they just refuse to provide any required documents, then you should terminate the distribution requirement. I think this, you know, from a regulations perspective, this is quite a, a clear requirement and give the asset management the legal basis for you to oversee a um, distributor. But having said that, you should be mindful that, you know, in China, uh, the distributors are normally the big banks. They are the ones who have the leverage. And when you do a negotiation with the distributors normally you didn't have a lot of fucking chips so they're the big ones so sometimes you know as the mutual fund industry experience right when they negotiate with the distributor normally or even on board the distributor normally they just refuse to provide some further documentation just some very basic information so this is a problem i think that will also be faced by the wealth management industry as well so what we can do is we will use the new distribution rules that was just coming to effect yesterday and we explained to them look we are under the same regulators the same regulation cbrc is also the one in charge of the bank's regulation right and this is what is specifically required by the law by the regulations and we need to accomplish this because this rules also stated very clearly that the asset managers and distributors are jointly liable for any misselling process and recently a lot of tests popped up just because of the uh, defect in the sales process. And also, for the first time, this rules put personal liability for the senior management of asset managers. If you didn't do this, you know, not only the company will be subject to disciplinary action, but the personnel will also be liable. So currently, we are reviewing our sales process because this is quite a new, right? The rules coming into effect this month, and our license was uh, issued in May. So we are trying to review our controls. You know, we need to put into any actual, you know, process to make sure that we capture the main requirement of the regulations and we can uh, comply with all the requirements in the new rules. Great. Well, thank you, Josh, for joining me today. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to the China Law Podcast, a weekly discussion of China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. Make sure to check out our website, ChinaLawAndPractice.com, to keep up to date with the latest Chinese legal and business news through our in-depth analyses, including contributions from our network of leading lawyers and in-house counsel, as well as full access to a searchable database of English full translations of PRC legislation going back 33 years. Stay tuned, and thanks again for listening.